another episode of the Iowa Cubs podcast. This one hosted director of broadcasting Alex Cohen, director of media relations Shelby Cravens. Uh, Shelby, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm excited. This will be my debut podcast hosting gig, so I hope everyone's prepared for what's to come. No one really knows. so It's going to be pretty difficult just like talking for a while. Yeah, it's going to be really tough. Um, this, uh, this guest that we have has a fun introduction. He is the beat writer for the Iowa Cubs for the Des Moines Register. He is the NSMA two-time nominee for the best journalist in the state of Iowa, former Iowa Cubs media relations intern, Tommy Birch, joining us. Tommy, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Just living the dream. Yeah, that was we, a great introduction. That makes me sound way more accomplished. I really well, sound really cool there. That was, go, that was impressive. I'm gonna yeah, update my resume right now. All, we go with all the fun stuff first, and then we, we don't want to bury the lead. We want people to remember that your most important title is media relations intern. Shelby's media relations director, your media relations intern. You can see the, the hierarchy there, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've always considered Shelby to be higher ranked than me, <laughs> even now. We just get to compliment each other this whole time. Is that what we're here Pretty for? Much. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, we're right now sitting. Give us a little time to think, Alex. We'll get you. We'll work one in here somewhere. Yeah. Now we're, we're sitting right now in a press box where we normally see you seventy days out of the year. Uh, we, we haven't seen you here for quite some time. I, I can see since our last game you've been growing your beard out, and, and it looks nice. Um, but what does the Iowa Cubs beat mean to you? I mean, you're somebody who spent a lot of time here. You've seen a lot of games here. You worked here as an intern. You played here on the field. You cover games here. What does being the Iowa Cubs beat writer uh, mean to you? Yeah, to me, it's really special. I mean, it's, you know, there, there are a lot of different beats at the Des Moines Register, but I would say this is one that, like, I had always wanted. It's funny that you had mentioned, you know, played on the field. I actually f- forgot about that part. But the Iowa Cubs have been a big, big part of my life. Um, I've been born and raised in Des Moines. I grew up going to games. Part of the reason why I fell in love with baseball was coming to Principal Park when it was in a Sec Taylor Stadium. Um, kind of the funny thing is like one of my first favorite baseball players ever was a guy named Matt Wahlbeck, a catcher. And the first Iowa Cubs game I came to, Matt Wahlbeck played for the Iowa Cubs. Well, then the first major league baseball game I went to was the Twins Orioles game and Matt Wahlbeck got traded uh, by the Chicago Cubs to the Minnesota Twins. So I was like, oh man, I know that guy. And Matt Wahlbeck became, like, my favorite baseball player. I probably um, am the only Matt Wahlbeck fan in the world. But it was because of that kind of unique tie. They played for the team in my hometown and then played for the team that I adopted as my my favorite big league team. So, um, yeah, I've been following Iowa Cubs baseball for, for a long, long time, not just as, you know, first a fan, but then a employee um, interning for the Iowa Cubs, and then um, now as an unbiased reporter um, covering them for the Des Moines Register. I can't remember what year 
this is for me on the beat, but it's been the entire Marty PV era that I've. That, Congratulations. That's a big yeah. run. That is a big run. <laughs> That's so, something else I will put on my resume. It's it's worth it's worth noting that you've you've made it that long and through the entire era. That's not an easy easy beat to be on all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, minor minor league baseball definitely is unique compared to anything else I've I've covered. You know, I spent like five, six years covering Iowa State football, men's and women's basketball. I still do women's basketball, but I think my my favorite part of this beat is not only the the lack of competition <laughs> that I'm usually the only one here, but I'm I'm a genuine baseball fan. Um, I love being at the park. I love coming out for batting practice. I love just chatting with people about the game. And, and you know, my, my favorite stories over the years aren't even stories that you see in print. It's just stories that I've kind of gotten from behind the scenes, either as somebody sitting in the stands at Principal Park or somebody sitting in the press box working or reporting or, or whatever. I mean, that's a perfect segue. I mean, we know the stuff that you report and what you write on because we can see it, but those stories that you get while sitting in the press box or going down on the field during batting practice, those fans don't see. Are, are there a couple that stick out to you, you know, right now that, that you can think back on over the last Marty Piviera, a decade that <laughs> you haven't printed, uh, but are like, man, like that, that's something. Yeah. I mean, there are a few, like one of the things that I, you know, I, I was thinking about the other night was from kind of the fan perspective is, that I actually shagged balls um, during the home run derby when the all, uh, the AAA All-Star game came here. Uh, the Iowa Cubs were looking for, like, little leaguers to, to do this. And we got to shag balls during BP, and then we shagged during the home run derby, which was the night before the game. And there was, like, an entire AAU team, and then there was me. I wasn't a part of the AAU team, but – I had a family friend or my neighbors had a family friend that worked for the Iowa Cubs and hooked me up with it. So I, w I was thinking about that the other night where it's funny. The best thing is I, I remember the home run derby and Todd Helton won the home run derby, but I, I was thinking about during batting practice and, you know, all these guys on the AAU team were like crashing into the center field wall, trying to chase down <laughs> balls. I was diving <clears throat> for for balls um, in the gap. And I remember thinking at the time, like, man, I wonder if these guys are getting pissed off, these minor league players that, you know, we're doing all the work. And now I think back and they're th – those guys are probably like, man, thank God these kids are here <laughs> just doing all the grunt work for us. But that's, that's kind of one of my favorite things. And then, you know, I, I think back to – a lot of the stories that people talk to me about or want to know about are like the prospects before they became, you know, the stars. And my favorite one is Chris Bryant, where Chris Bryant, you guys were doing, it, it was National Federation Turkey Night or whatever. Favorite, yes. Yeah. And you guys at the Iowa Cubs wear these cool, um, you know, jerseys and yeah. fans during the game, they bid they're kind of geared towards hunting outdoors and kind of um, really cool. And during the game, 
fans bid on these jerseys, and if you win, how it was during this season, you got to meet the player after the game. Uh, they would sign. They would literally take the jersey off their back, sign it for you, and maybe you get a picture or whatever. Well, Chris Bryant rolled his ankle that night, and being that he was Chris Bryant and the biggest prospect in the Cubs system, he was probably okay, but they took him to the hospital and got x-rays and everything. So the guy who had bid, and he had bid a ton of money. I can't even remember what the winning bid was. He bid so much money to win this Chris Bryant jersey. Didn't get to meet him that night. So they lined up like a couple in the, a couple of days later where this guy could come back to Principal Park. I think it was before or after BP. Get the jersey from Bryant, meet him, get some photos, whatever. He shows up and he tells Chris, he goes, look, I will make a donation to your charity if you for $1,000 in your name. I'll write a check right now. I think it was $1,000 if you give me a game-used autograph bat. And I, I stood out there. I was with an Iowa Cubs employee, and I, I, I was you know, a, a beat reporter at the time. I stood out there just kind of watching this unfold because you know, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. And I love that interaction with the fans. I, those usually produce some really cool stories. And Chris, like, Chris being the guy he is was like, okay, and I, I had to walk to the Iowa Cubs clubhouse to, I think, to talk to, to PV. And I'm walking with uh, Chris, and, and the Iowa Cubs employee was Eric Hamas at the time. And he, Chris is going to get a bat, and he looks at Eric and I, and he goes, I, I don't even have a charity yet. And I go, you're going to want to figure that one out, Chris. People are going to – People are going to ask you about, you know, or are probably going to want to start doing that once you get to the big leagues. And he was like, what should I tell him? And I think, like, Eric and I just kind of threw out, like, boys and girls club of, of whatever. So that day there ended up being, like, a 500 or $1,000 check written to boys and girls club in, in, in honor of Chris Bryant. But I think that story kind of epitomizes the whole idea of, like, now I guarantee Chris Bryant has certain charities that um, – he knows he wants to be a part of, he wants to donate to and stuff like that. But I think that showed like, man, this is kind of his, um, a- another level of him learning the ropes of what was going to become superstardom for him. Right. I, I love that story. And I want to follow it up quickly because he came down and rehabbed with us in 2018. And I love when the, you know, the big leagues changes people to a certain degree, but um, for Chris Bryant, he came down in 2018 and played a couple games with us. He actually left. His last game with us was the night before our Susan G. Komen game and where we wore, um, did the same, same concept, auction off jerseys, wore the pink jerseys, and he left. He wasn't going to be with us that night, um, and he knew he was leaving, and before he left, he signed a number 17 for us to auction off. And I think it ended up raising over $1,000 for Susan G. Komen. But I think it's worth noting that he's still the same dude, which is great for us to see at this level that you can win a rookie of the year, win an MVP, and come back down on rehab and still be a good person and still contribute. Yeah, nobody, and, and nobody wants to come back down here, whether it's a, a rehab assignment or a demotion or whatever. Nobody wants to actually be uh, be in Iowa. You know, they want to be there. But 
you can always tell a lot about those guys um, when it comes to, to stuff like that. And, and Brian was always the guy. And, and there were a few of those guys that you could tell it, it, it wasn't – being up in Chicago hadn't really changed them. It had changed how um, I think people perceived them and how um, maybe they went about their business, but actually hadn't changed the type of people that they were. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember in 2018 when he was here, that was my first year as, as the voice of the iCubs, and that was really my first introduction to how big Chicago Cubs baseball here is here in Iowa because, I mean, Tommy, you remember, Shelby, we remember, we were not very good that year. That that season on the field was was a struggle. And Brian Just that came, year. <laughs> Brian came to rehab with us. He started off in Omaha. And I remember Shelby being like, I have to drive to Omaha. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> like, you have to drive two hours just to handle the rehab. I could do it. And then she's like, no, I'll, I'll come because it's going to be borderline bedlam here when we get back to Principal Park. I'm like, what do you mean? It's a Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday you know, rehab stint. And when we get back to Principal Park, there's 11,000 people here on a Monday night when we're 30 games under 500. And we're just, uh, that's when I was just like, wow, like this is uh, – this is pretty intense. So I, I do remember that that rehab stint very fondly because it, it brought a much needed jolt into August baseball, <laughs> and we we were struggling on the field at that time. So it was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, I got a question for you. What is the best story you've gotten that you haven't set out to get? Um, you've talked to a lot of people, and I know you go in sometimes – to interviews thinking one thing and something else comes out of it. So what is, what's kind of come out of the woodwork that you didn't expect? This is, this is the easiest question because it, it produced one of my like favorite stories. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll go to Iowa state and I'll <clears throat> talk to um, journalism students there. And I always tell them this story because I think it's really important. Uh, you guys had a relief pitcher named Blake Cooper, and I think he was here before both of you guys uh, arrived. But Blake was a very interesting dude. And I remember going into the Iowa Cubs clubhouse, and I would see his fishing pole being there. And I'd heard stories that when you guys would go on the road, Blake would go online and look up some pretty um, hot fishing spots. And I was like, man, that's kind of a – interesting story you know this guy just really loves to to fish and you know maybe I could go fishing with him sometime in Des Moines I don't know I just kind of want to know more about it so I go up to Blake one day and I'm, I'm kind of talking to him about it and I'm not recording anything I'm not writing anything I'm just kind of chatting with him and I'm like where's your favorite spot in Des Moines and he's like well you know he's from the south he was like well I got my uh, little camper there's a nice little pond. That's a, that's a sweet southern accent you got there. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> he was like, I got this little pond outside my camper, and I just get up, and I go out there, and I fish. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I, you know, he tells me he's living in a camper with his wife at Adventureland, a theme park in Altoona, which is like 20 minutes away from Des Moines. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> forget the fishing and he he tells me you know basically the whole idea of um look I've, I've i've been in the minors for a little while now i've 
I've had to do roommates. I've had to move on the fly. Before the season started, I thought it'd be a really good idea. Worst can invest in a camper. That way my wife can stay with me. And, um, you know, if I get called up, we'll drive it to Chicago. If I get traded, we'll drive it to wherever I get traded. I don't have to worry about lease or anything. And I went out to the campgrounds with a photographer and he gave us a tour of his, of his camper or RV or whatever. And it, it was really cool. And we did fish. Like I, I said to him, I was like, so is this the pond? And he goes, yeah, let's go fishing. So, um, you know, Blake Cooper, <clears throat> yeah, Blake Cooper was a very good, very steady relief pitcher for you guys. He never made it to the big leagues. But he is a guy I'm never going to forget because of that. And uh, I've, I've kind of found that over the years. And it took me a little time. I think when I first started off on the beat, I was like, I was like so many young reporters where my focus was always on Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Albert Almora Jr., all those guys. And that's important. That's what fans want to know about. That's what fans want to read about. And you have to give those guys – uh, the attention, you know, uh, I've always joked that um, when when Javier Baez was here, people were more interested in a story if Javi Baez went 0 for 5 with four strikeouts than if Eli Whiteside went 4 for 4 with two home runs. That's the sad reality. But as I've kind of moved on to the beat, I figured out, like, man, everybody has a good story to tell you just have to go find that story. And it's usually those guys, the Eli Whitesides, the Blake Coopers, uh, the Trevor Clifton. Who That's what I was going to bring up. You you have an affinity for writing about guys with, with campers alternative <laughs> <Yeah>. living styles. <laughs> that is, that's actually my beat. The Iowa Cubs beat is not my beat. It yeah. is camper, camper life. But those guys have the best stories, and those are usually my favorite stories because, let's be honest, usually by the time Chris Bryant gets to Des Moines, you know, he's he's like a politician that's been vetted and and looked into so much where, like, some of those other guys, like the Blakes, you know, have some good stories, and they want to tell them, too. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's what I enjoy about both working with you and reading your work is, you know, there are a lot of people that write about the Chicago Cubs and Chicago Cubs pro- uh, prospects, you know, it's a pretty big brand. Um, but we, what you do is really dig into the human side and find some really unique stories to tell. And, you know, you write about the baseball, you're ultimately the Iowa Cubs beat writer, but you find some interesting stories and really um, show what it's like to be in minor league baseball. And I think you humanize these guys a lot, which I think is, is important, especially to me working on the back end, um, you know, Let's, if you're listening, think about the camper story. If you think being a professional athlete is glamorous, uh, <laughs> you know, you might be on the wrong track there. You know, there's definitely a different side of it. And I've always appreciated as a media relations person that you kind of show that other side of minor league baseball and professional sports. I think it's probably helped that I've been on your side too. You know, I've been in the clubhouse, yeah. a reporter as a media relations person when somebody has been traded or released or sent down and I've seen just um, how heartbreaking that is you know I think the average fan like you had mentioned that's uh, you know a a great point that I try to pass along to as many people as possible Shelby is that 
especially at this level, I think people just don't comprehend the idea of what getting sent down or getting released truly means. I mean, for a lot of these guys, they aren't going to make it to the big leagues. If you're getting released at AAA, there's a good chance your baseball career might be done, at least in professional baseball. Uh, so, unless, unless you have big league service time, which means you go to another organization. But, yeah, for, for the yeah. most part, it is – if you release at this level – it's done. Like your dream is effectively finished. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think that's why it's so important to kind of humanize these guys too and show that, um, you know, they're people like us, you know, they, they've got mortgages, they've got rent to pay, they've got diapers to, to buy for their kids. They've got food they've got put on the table. And um, I think that makes it more interesting for fans. I think that, that probably makes people, um, more interest in those players too. I mean, why, why is everybody um, – why does Trevor Bauer have such a big following? It's because he is so open and so out there that I think even though you are probably absolutely nothing like Trevor Bauer, um, you feel like you can relate to him because Don't he's part of your life. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> There's something to be said for speaking, you know – whether you agree with him or not, you know, he, he speaks his mind. He's accessible. Fans feel like they've got a connection with him. And I think that's kind of, you know, what people look to get out of professional sports and what minor league baseball does so well is you can connect with the players and feel like you're a part of something bigger. You know, you're, you're sitting yes. right on the field. You can get the autographs. You can, you know, meet the players before and after the games. And it's just a cool – minor league baseball gives you a cool experience. Yeah, I mean, though, and that's why I love covering minor league baseball so much are those those stories. Uh, like the, the Chris Bryant story, you would not, you would not hear, in, you know, if he's, if he's in Chicago. Like, one, they are not doing shirt off your back jersey nights. And if they are, you are not coming down to the field to meet Chris Bryant or <laughs> – you know, I'm always I'm always fascinated with autograph seekers because for years that was me. Like I, you know, like one of my one of my favorite autographs I got was a Doug Glanville signed card when he had gotten called up to to Triple A, and now that card has <clears throat> complete and different meaning to what it did then. Because I think at the time he was semi a prospect. I can't can't remember but like one of my I mean, yeah he, he, he was a first round pick yeah yeah and one of my one of my favorite stories talking to the autograph seekers is when Manny Ramirez was here you you've got you've got a you guys have a diehard fan who has a giant white beard and he is at the park every day getting autographs he, he probably has about 50 Marty PV autographs which more than anybody in the world the story that I was told was that Manny had told the fan, look, if, um, if you shave your beard, one day I will sign everything you want. Next day, fan shows up to Principal Park, beard gone. Him and Manny went up to the club club. And Manny just bam, 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 card after card after card and said, like, we good? You got everything? And he said, yep. 
and never ask for a Manny Ramirez autograph again. And you will not get that. Can you sign my bicep? Can you sign like <laughs> the back of my neck, please? You know, you might. You, I hope he got his money's worth because that was a good beard. Sounds like it. Um, speaking of being a fan and and cheering on your favorite guys, what what has been one of your fangirl moments? Of you, you got to interview someone and meet someone that just. You know, I think we're all in the same boat where there are celebrities, but you get a little numb to baseball, baseball players a little bit. And like we've said, you start seeing them more as human beings and as athletes and celebrities now. But who who have you met that really just one of one of your heroes, one of your people? <laughs> I'll tell you one that I did meet and then like one that I didn't meet <clears throat> that like really disappointed me. Comic-Con was in Des Moines. <laughs> At the, at the time, was not expected that. Yeah, and Lou Lou Ferrigno was in town, and he was. Uh, there was thought that you guys were getting him to come throw out a first pitch, and I'm a huge King of Queens fan. Not even like Incredible Hulk, a huge King of Queens fan. I was like, man, that I, I gotta meet Lou and. I remember I was sitting in PV's office. I'm telling him, like, hey, Ferrigno might be coming to the game. And he's like, hold on one minute. And he, like, runs down the hallway. And I'm like, what is What is going on? (laughs) He gets an old baseball, not even a new baseball, like a batting practice baseball. And says, like, will you get this sign for me? And I was like, I don't know if I can, but at least I'll find somebody. And that's my end to to meet Ferrigno. He didn't show up. So that sucked. But my, like, kind of, like, fanboy moment was, you know, I'm a diehard Minnesota Twins fan because of Matt Wahlbeck. And my, my, first, my first game, first Major League Baseball game was at the Metrodome. It was Twins, Twins versus Orioles. And, um, you know, I, I became a Twins fan over the years. And the height of my fandom was during the Joe Nathan years when they were really good. You know, you had Joe Nathan, Justin Morneau, Joe Maurer, Torrey Hunter, those guys, and the Cubs signed Joe Nathan to, I think it was actually a major league deal, but he had had Tommy John surgery and been out of the game so long. He was working his way up through the system. And Joe came here to Des Moines. He was only here for a couple of games. But I talked to him one time, and, I, I, you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, man, this, this is kind of – it's kind of cool. Like it's, it's, I've watched you on TV many of times, Joe Nathan, and, and screamed your name and tried. Yeah, and and luckily it was always good things because he, you know, he was money. He was big. He was really good. And yeah, that, that. it was it was cool. Seeing, you know, he kind of when he gets on the mound, you know, he kind of does this thing where he's kind of like, you know, blow almost blowing bubbles, but. Um, when I when I was up in the press box and saw him on on the field, I was like, man, that's that's kind of cool. But talking to him too was was really um, neat. And and there's not a moment I, I I I have a lot of these moments, especially when I'm interviewing people on the field, where there have been so many times where <clears throat> I was a kid at Principal Park in you know standing down that left field line trying to get autographs. There are so many times where I'm talking to guys as they're walking to the clubhouse or we're, we're stopped in front of them, and I can see all those fans, like, just waiting for me to wrap it up, like, 
they're they're like, dude, ask your dumb questions. Let's move it along. I've got to get this Chris Boyka autograph now. And and I I think about that all the time where I'm like, that was that was me. And it's not something that's that's lost upon me very often. You've talked to me about a stretch of, I guess it was five, six years ago, Chris Bryant being a prospect here, you being a Minnesota Twins fan. In a span of three days, you're covering an Iowa Cubs game here at Principal Park with Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant going up to the Futures game <laughs> at Target Field in Minneapolis. You get credentialed, you go, you're covering that game in your home city, or I guess your home team, covering the prospect who you've had immediate access to for about a year. You know, what, what was that like? That would be like me calling a game at the old Veterans Stadium, but Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I would definitely feel some type of way. I can imagine you probably felt some type of way doing it. Yeah, I, I got to do it one other time, and I got to do it one time after that. When I was in college, I went to DMAC before I went to Iowa State, and when I was figuring out what I wanted to do, if I wanted to, to be a reporter, one of the, the classes I was in, we had to come up with like a good feature story idea. Being the big Twins fan I was, I knew Corey Kosky, the third baseman for the Twins, went to DMAC. I was like, I need to go to Minnesota, do a story on Corey Kosky. And for some ungodly stupid reason, they credentialed me. And went up to the Metrodome, Disorder on Corey Kosky, and that, that's prob- probably why I'm doing what I did. But the thing about that time at Target Field, what I, there, there were so many things I'll, I'll never forget, but my, this is kind of another story about like how far, <clears throat> you know, these guys have come and when it comes to Chris Bryant. So like the day before um, the Futures game, or I, I, how the scheduling works out is, Basically, the guys that are in the Futures game have to miss one game with Iowa Cubs or whatever minor league team they're with. Chris Bryan and Javier Baez were with Iowa. And before they went to, to Minnesota, you know, I talked to both guys to, to do kind of like a preview. And I said to Chris, like, we're just kind of standing behind the cage. I was like, hey, I'll see you up there. I'm I'm going up there too, and he was like, "You're going up there? That's that's really cool. You're gonna be there." And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Good." You know, and he he kind of made it sound like he was happy because he didn't think anybody um, was going to want to talk to him when he was there. I don't think he fully realized he was the biggest prospect in baseball. Yeah. And <laughs> number one overall prospect, minor league player of the yeah. year, just going to stand by an empty locker speaking yeah. to nobody. And yeah. I was yeah. in the USA locker room when his, uh, you know, I think he was on the second bus and the second bus comes in. And the second he gets to his locker, it's like, bam, everybody comes and surrounds Chris Bryant. And I think that was where he was kind of like, whoa. <laughs> What's going on here? Like these, everybody wants to talk to me, but it was, um, it was, it was a really cool experience. I actually went back up there. I don't know if it was a year or two later, but it was when Kyle Schwarber was in Double A, temporarily bypassed Iowa, went to Chicago, got called up for like an eight game stint, and they were like, 
Kyle Schwarber is playing in eight games in the majors, and then we're sending him to Iowa. He could hit – he could go 25 for 25 with 25 homers, and we're still going to send him back to Iowa. I had a buddy of mine that was uh, visit, that is from Minnesota and was visiting Minnesota. He was living in Maine at the time. I hadn't seen him for years. He was – I was already planning a trip to Minnesota. The end – the final game of this eight-game stint in the majors for Kyle Schorber was in Minnesota. I was like, man – I never get to cover guys before they come to Iowa. I'm always like, once they get here. And it was such a unique thing where we knew he was coming here and he had temporarily bypassed it. So I was in Minnesota, got credentialed, covered the game, and um, and um, um, covered Schwarber. And I think that, that minor experience helped me immensely in covering Kyle Schwarber when he came back down here when he was demoted because um, I don't know if Kyle Schwarber liked me or whatever. I mean, I'm, ass- I'm assuming everybody that I cover dislikes me. Um, it's, it's, it's better to assume that, but at least Kyle Schwarber knew who I was when he came back down here and that probably understood like, okay, this guy is, is pretty passionate about this and is at least going to try to give me a fair shake. <laughs> Tommy, I think you're selling yourself short. I think the majority of the guys like you, but there are certain few that, that probably don't. We're not going to name names on here. I think you know <laughs> who I'm talking about. I think I know, I know who I'm talking about. Shelby does too, but I think you're selling yourself short. I think your baseline is people, <laughs> they do like you, but yes. I mean, the key, the, the, the key, yeah, the key when it comes to this beat, and I think that's what I'm really worried about when it comes to COVID-19 is – you know, um, when when you do write something negative, you still gotta show up. You gotta show those guys that, like, hey, I'm 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 gonna be here. And I think that that goes a long uh, a long ways towards accountability. That's part of the reason why I go batting practice. One, I love watching batting practice, and two, I've always thought like, hey, if somebody's pissed off at me, and they want to say something like. I'm, I, I kind of look at batting practice as like uh, uh, me going in front of the firing squad. Like here's your here's your chance. If uh, and it's it's rarely happened. But, yeah, I was gonna say, has anybody taken you up on that opportunity to you know, hey, I gotta <laughs> sit you down and, and and talk about some of the things that you that you said in this article or this feature? That yeah, and you know, I think this is something where I'm fine getting specific because it was so out there, but. You know, when Bias first came up, he got he got ejected from a game, and I'd heard you know up in the press box you you can't see into the dugout, but I'd heard he uh, we'll say uh, threw fisticuffs with a uh, with a couple of players, and one of them was actually Eli Whiteside. And the next day, I talked to Javi about it, and he was very upfront about the idea and and mentioned Eli, and. Um, I, I, I was so new to the beat that I, I don't think I fully grasped the concept of just how big of a story it was going to be where what Baez was six, seven, eight games into a stint in Iowa. He'd been tossed from a game, fought with a teammate, and I, I, I write a story about it. And he was off to a, a horrifically slow start. It ended up being such a big deal that I think Theo Epstein like did like a special – gathering with reporters not press conference but 
that make you feel good or bad when yeah i i was <laughs> beating out of my chest I know. yeah i, I <laughs> uh yeah i don't know at the time but i remember Whiteside the next and in Whiteside the next day came up to me and, and he did not like being a part of the story because he was he was a big league veteran that was just trying to hang around hang around and from everything I understood was a really good clubhouse guy and a tremendously good dude. And he was just trying to get a message across to a young guy that ended up getting lost in translation by probably some immaturity at the time of Javier Baez, but it just did not make him look good. And I think it was an educational moment for me, Um, probably learned the hard way, but you know, I've had a few times, you know, the other time I can think of, was when Ian Stewart got suspended for his Twitter rampage and 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 there was a there was a, a good following of guys in that clubhouse who really liked uh beef stew. <laughs> That's the Ian Ian Stewart, his nickname Beef Stew. And when he got suspended, I wrote a story <clears throat> about it and I think the Chicago Tribune did. A lot of people did. It was it was a big story. There was no hiding what was taking place. But I think a lot a lot of guys in that clubhouse blamed me. And I'll tell you what, there there's nothing more nerve-wracking than walking into a clubhouse where you think everybody wants to uh, uh, scream at you. <laughs> yeah, that's an intimidating position to be in. <laughs> Especially... And it, it ended up working out okay where, you know, I think a couple people had to voice their... Uh, just how they felt about it. But as a young reporter who, who didn't know the, you know, what goes through everything, it, it was another good learning experience for me. And I think that was probably one of my, a lot of my learning lessons on the job have come with the Iowa Cubs beat where um, it's like I said, you know, there are so many times where I'm the only one here and um, it's not like where I'm at an Iowa State football or basketball game and there are 12 of us covering the team and you can essentially kind of blend in with the other reporters. I'm the only one here. And if I, you know, I think early on I had to learn like, okay, these guys, some of them will get on Twitter after the game and search their name. And, um, and you, you have to, you have to learn how to have a good working relationship with people. I mean, there's just such a difference between being a beat writer for a minor league baseball team and being a beat writer for a major league baseball team because, one, it's it's the visibility. It is, as you said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday games, you're probably the only media member here. It may be a television network, but you're the only media member here. And you I hate the- it when the others show up. Yeah. My press I tell Shelby – do not credential anyone else. <laughs> yeah, the fourth, like the Fourth of July, was fun last year when we had about fifty others here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We had CNN, we had NBC, and Tommy's like, "I'm the first one to the press feed tonight, guys. This is yeah. my press box. Get in line." <laughs> Thank you for listening to Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. That was part one of our interview with Des Moines Register beat writer for the Iowa Cubs, Tommy Birch. You can listen to part two of our interview next week.